Good morning. So what's your story? Who, who are you? <laughs> where, where are you from? What have you done? Um, what are the things about you that make you, you? Where are you going? What, what are your hopes? What are your dreams? What's your story? The incredible thing about stories is that stories have the power to, to draw us in and make us feel like we are a part of them. My kids don't just want to read about Harry Potter. They want to go to Hogwarts. Uh, they, they, in some ways, actually think that that is going to happen for them. Stories draw us in and make us believe that we're a part of them. There have been studies that have shown that um, it, when we're listening to a lecture, when we're, when we're maybe when we're reading a book, if you're sitting in a, in a seminar at work, uh, as human beings, we are daydreamers. Our minds wander. This never happens during a sermon, of course, right? No, of course it does. Um, but when we're listening to a story, um, our, our brains actually function. Uh, we, we don't daydream. Our minds tend not to wander when we're engaged in a story, and our minds actually function in sort of a participatory way. Our brains look like we're actually engaged in the activity, in the story. Stories have the power to draw us in as if we're actually participants. Every person in this room has a story. Um, challenges that you have made it through in one way or another. <laughs> uh, things that you hope for, things that you are afraid of. Places that you've been, things that you've seen. So what's your story? The incredible thing about the God of the universe is that he has a story. The one who's the author of life tells us a story about who he is. God doesn't make, um, make himself known to us by like sending down a press release with like his data points, like when he was born and where he went to college. But he tells us a story about who he is. And the incredible thing about this story, like any good stories, is that as we hear it, it begins to leap off the pages at us. It begins, um, it's like augmented reality where we're reading this book and yet it's, it's coming up and it's, it's all around us and we find that we're actually participants in it as well, in the story of God, the true story of what's really going on in the world. This morning we're starting this new series, What's Your Story? And over the next six weeks, what I want to do, what I'm trying to do, is tell you your story. I want to try to tell you your story in a way that shows how your story actually intersects with the story of the God of the Bible, the one who is the author of life itself. Because I believe that every one of us is hungry. Every one of us is... Um, Every one of us is sort of waiting for that plot twist in our own story that would make sense of all those unexplainable things in our past and would put us on a secure trajectory for the future. And I believe that when we begin to understand our story um, and where it intersects with the story of God himself, that that's where life begins to take on meaning and that's where we really begin to live. So let me invite you to stand with me this morning. And I'm just going to read two verses 
One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. I'll be real quick so you can just follow along. First is Psalm 34, verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And then John 10, verse 10, says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we long to know that abundant full life. We long to taste it. We long to know what it feels like, to smell it, to experience it. And so God, this morning as we meditate on your word, would you fill our senses with the presence of Jesus, that we might know him because we've experienced him. Would you help us to develop a taste for the real thing, for who you really are, so that we wouldn't be satisfied with anything less. Would you do that in us? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. I came across a list recently. A hundred things to do before you die. Uh, there's probably hundreds of these lists floating around the internet. Um, you know, a hundred things be- before you die. You have to see the aurora borealis, the northern lights. Um, you have to swim with dolphins. You have to ride in a helicopter. At some point, before if you don't, if you don't ride in a helicopter before you die, you're missing out on life, right? You have to sleep under the stars. Uh, if you haven't, if you haven't done these things, then you are missing out. Um, th- this whole way of thinking. You know, there, there was, I think, there was a TV show a few years back that kind of. Um, uh, sparked this idea of, um, uh, you know, uh, th- there's this, this list of things that you've got to do, and if you, if you haven't done it, you're missing out on life. You're not really experiencing part of what it means to be human. Um, the concept of having, like, a, a bucket list, right, is, is, is a relatively new phenomenon. I, I think I remember the first time, I mean, like, t- I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, that wasn't like a phrase. What's on your bucket list? Um, now it's something that you know we can we can at least talk about regularly, right? Um, but it, it sort of struck a chord with us that there are these things that we have to do in life to really experience all that life has to offer for us. The flip side of that is the implication that if we fail to do some of these really important, meaningful things, that we're not really experiencing all that life offers. And uh, that led the Oxford Dictionary to add a new word in 2013 to the dictionary, FOMO. You know what FOMO is? The fear of missing out. Um, Wikipedia defines FOMO as a pervasive apprehension that others might be having rewarding experiences from which we are absent. Oh my gosh, you know, I can't even be on one. If there's a conversation on the other side of the room, I don't even, because what, I could be missing out, right? Um, What if I miss out on something really important? Taps into this insecurity that we each have, this this fear that there's something really, uh, there's something that we need that we lack. Um, There's something that we haven't quite, we haven't quite gotten yet. Um, We're missing out on something. 
I think that's the reason why I don't like getting on an airplane. I don't, I don't mind getting on an airplane, but I hate when I get on an airplane and then the flight attendant says, please put your phone in airplane mode now. I hate it when they say that. Um, because then I'm out of touch and I'm not in control and I might actually have to talk to the person sitting next to me, which I really don't want to do, right? Um, actually, my phone is in airplane mode right now because my mom might text me. <laughs> um, actually, somebody texted me this morning and said they weren't coming and so I didn't turn my phone on airplane mode soon enough. Um, I, I hate having my phone. I love getting like after church, taking it out of airplane mode and seeing like all the fun things people are just, my life becomes so much more full, it feels like. Except when it's like eight people who are like, yeah, I'm not coming to church this week. <laughs> I hate that. I hate feeling like I'm not in control. Uh, I hate it when I'm going into the movies, and they you know, they make such a big deal in the movies, like silence your phone, and then there that thing about like um, uh, you know, a bright little screen in the middle of a dark movie theater, everybody can see you, and then so you put it on vibrate, and then it buzzes halfway through, and it's like I really want to look. What am I missing out on? What's going on? Um, the fear of missing out. We all have it. But what I want to ask you today is what happens if you get it all and that emptiness still remains? What happens if we get everything that there is to get in life and yet we're still not satisfied? Because that, I think, is us. I mean, just objectively speaking, if you are in this room in Ladera Ranch on a Sunday morning, you have one at life, <laughs> right? And yet, who among us would say, and that's why I'm satisfied completely, and I, um, everything is great. Um, how are we not satisfied? I found this book, a friend recommended this book to me. Um, it's called How to Be Miserable, 40 Strategies That You Already Use. <laughs> it was, oh, I told Ashley, I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> it's just too good. I want to read you part of this book because, um, oh man, it's just too, it's a little bit long, but uh, it's, it's interesting. Okay, so conjure in your mind the image of a caveman. In your vision, he probably looks rather stupid, but he is us. Our species, Homo sapien, has been around in pretty much the same form for over 100,000 years, and stupid or not, our caveman has dreams. He longs for a world in which good-tasting food is ready, readily available and starvation is unlikely. He wants freedom from the predators that occasionally make off with members of the tribe. He wants his children to stop dying from diseases he doesn't understand. When he himself is ill, he wishes that someone would help him get well. Then he shakes his head, frowns at himself for wasting time, and returns to the business of not dying. Pointless to wish for a world that could never exist. But of course it does exist. It can and it does exist. In the developed world, we live a life of luxury unparalleled in the history of the species. There's food in the fridge, there's a roof over our heads, there's hot water in the faucet, there's hot air in our furnaces and in our leaders, and every product we can think of is within reach. We have a longer lifespan than ever we're healthier for longer. The neighbors are not, for the most part, trying to kill us. The infant mortality rate is low and the lifespan is long. It is a world that our caveman and the kings of not too long ago would kill 
to experience. If we could reach back in time and bring our ancestor, the caveman, to the present world, his eyes would widen in amazement. We would show them our cars, our aircraft, our hospitals, our grocery stores, and the climate-controlled rooms we sit in, uh, where we sit in comfortable chairs where we do our work. They would stare at us with a sudden realization, I have died. This is the promised realm that our priests talked about. Your days are spent in endless comfort and bliss. Can I stay? Then you tell them that there's a blight in this paradise. Most people are not filled with joy. Many spend much of their time in a state of dissatisfaction. Some are hospitalized in deepest misery. Millions are given medication to lift their moods to a tolerable level. Publishers bring out hundreds of books on how to find the happiness that microwave oven, ovens, stable societies, and Zumba classes have somehow failed to provide. This is my favorite part. Bus shelters advertise distant destinations to which the inhabitants of this world can escape. Escape? Our caveman can think of nothing more wonderful than to be imprisoned here. <laughs> Something has gone wrong. Some of you are smiling and some of you are looking really depressed. <laughs> Something has gone wrong, hasn't it? Um, we have everything and it's not enough. Why is that? You know, when somebody today asks you, how are you? There are two acceptable answers to that question. Fine or busy. That's all, anything else is awkward and weird. Um, Busy communicates, I'm important, but I'm not going to go into the details just right now. And, uh, and fine says, you know, there's a story, but I'm not going to tell it to you. Um, we're fine and we're busy, but I have a suspicion that underneath the surface of busy and fine, we don't actually know how we're doing at all. I hate it when somebody says, how are you doing? I say, busy. And they say, oh, yeah, what's, what, you, what you been doing this week? I have no idea. <laughs> Sort of like the kid who, um, before Thanksgiving dinner, stuffs himself so full with Cheetos and like Sour Patch Kids that by the time dinner comes, we're not, we don't even know why we're hungry, but our tongue hurts. <laughs> Nothing tastes good anymore. That's, I think, the problem in the story of our lives. We're trying to live full, meaningful, beautiful lives, but most of the time, we're just busy and fine. And I want to show you why I think that is. I brought this a couple months back, but you might not have been here. Um, so I, I made this light for Jason for his birthday. And um, it's got two outlets here, and a switch, and this lamp on top, and this cord. And so I, I was, after I, I put it together, I showed it to my kids. And one of them said, can you just plug that in like that? Right? It doesn't work, right? Why doesn't it work? So you have to plug this into a source of electricity. And we're trying to live our lives like this. And so we're stuck at busy and fine because we're trying to power our lives on the basis of our own lives. And if you want to get beyond busy and fine, you need to actually plug into a source of power outside of yourself. And so that's what I want to do. That's what I want to talk about over the next six weeks. 
I want to try to explain how you can connect to a source of power beyond yourself. I want to talk to you about how to connect with the one who is the author of life. I have good news for you today. God is not hiding from you. Um, God is not being coy. <laughs> so often I feel like God is like holding out these promises just to try to get me to give up something. But read with me again those two verses I read. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it in abundance. I have come, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life. A couple chapters later, he says, I am the life. I'm the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is saying that he came to give you life of which he is the author. So much of the time I act like God is just being stingy. Like what he's trying to get me to do is give up on some things that I actually find life in. And I want to invite you to just take God at his word. To take his words at face value. That he's not trying to sort of like somehow passively aggressively manipulate, passive aggressively manipulate us into like giving up on life by holding out the promise of life. Um, I hang on to being fine when God is offering real life. He's saying, connect to me. I'm the source of life. I want to give you life. Just like, no, I'm happy to white knuckle it out and just go with fine. <laughs> Why? Psalm 34.8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed or happy or joyful is the one who finds refuge, comfort, shelter, goodness in God. Uh, don't just believe that God is good because a long time ago you heard a really good argument about his existence. Experience, taste. He's inviting you to try him. The problem for us is that in our busyness, we're rushing around, we're telling ourselves, I have to I have to work longer. I have to get to the kids for the next thing. I have to do this. I have to buy that. And we're filling our souls with like those Cheetos and what's the other thing? Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> so we can't taste the real thing. Or when we do, like our taste buds have been seared off because they don't, they don't work the way they're supposed to work anymore. Like, I get it. I'm as busy and as fine as, as everybody else. I get it. But I'm looking at my life, and I'm looking at our lives, where we have more available to us. We have access to more things faster, cheaper, more readily than any other time in human history. And yet, statistically, we are more miserable as a culture than we have ever been. And I'm just maybe wondering if more isn't the solution to the problem, but maybe it's actually the source of the problem. I'm wondering if maybe God actually has been right all along, that he's actually good, that he actually wants to give us meaningful lives. He's not just trying to trick us into doing something, but we've crowded him out. I'm not, um, not going to promise that if you decide to walk down this road with me, that like life will suddenly turn into endless bliss. <laughs> and it will just be comfort and happy. It'll be like, you know, bouncing on trampolines all the time or something. Of 
course not. Life is hard sometimes. But I'm just saying that if we look at our lives and we're busy and we're fine, maybe it's worth just trying something else. Maybe it's worth taking God at his word. It doesn't mean life will be easy, but it does mean that we will be with him. I heard this story um, this week about a couple... Uh, they, they, they were at their wedding, they got married, and the, the guests left, and they were at the reception, and they, they stuck around for some few more pictures, and they got in the car to drive to the reception, and they ran into traffic, there was an accident, and they were just stopped, stuck, not moving for like an hour. And, uh, and all the guests, they want to be at the party, and the guests are dancing, and they're having fun, they're at the reception, and the bride and the groom are stuck in traffic. And they're not where they want to be, and people around them begin to see that this couple and, and you know, a bride in a wedding get dressed there. And people get out, people start to talk to them, and somebody pulls out their phone and opens up Spotify, and they have their, their first dance right in the middle of a traffic jam in the middle of the road. They weren't where they wanted to be, but they were with the one they loved. And that made it great. Surrounded by strangers. It doesn't matter where you are if you're with the one that you love. And that's what God is promising us, a life of not just being fine and busy, but being connected to the one who gives our lives life. The story of our lives is that we're fine and busy, but God's story is that he came to find us. Uh, that he didn't just remain hidden, kind of beyond, beyond the sky, unknowable, unreachable, but he came to find us. He took on human flesh. He came to show us what life looks like what real life actually looks like. And then having to live that life, he actually gave that life to us to make us his own, to show us what life could really look like. He came to recalibrate our taste buds, to wean us off the junk food that we're filling ourselves with in order that we might actually be ready to taste the feast that he's preparing for us. Do you want to really live? Do you just want to be fine and busy? Or can we maybe just try an experiment of trying to figure out how to live together? Um, it's been the greatest joy of my life. The reason I love being a pastor is because it is my job to help people find life in connecting with God. For six years, I got to walk with college students in Salt Lake City, and I could tell you story after story after story of students who met God and it changed their lives. Not that everything was great and they were never sad again, but it changed their lives. Uh, over the last year and a half or so, I've gotten to see God begin to wake some of us in this room up to real life. And it's such a joy and a privilege to be able to see that. My hope for this church is that as long as God allows us to be here, that that's what we're going to do. We're going to help people move beyond busy and fine by connecting with the source of life. So the big question is, how, right? <laughs> how do you do that? Well, that's why we have a whole series. <laughs> and uh, over the next six weeks, I want to show you how to connect with God by giving you a plan. And, and what I want to promise you is this plan is really simple, but it's not easy. And um, so I'm going to leave you today with uh, a homework assignment. Homework at church, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give you a homework assignment, and I'm going to leave you with a challenge, but before I tell you what they are, I want to tell you a story. In 1803, Thomas Jefferson uh, completed negotiations with Napoleon Bonaparte to buy 
the Louisiana Purchase nearly doubling the size of the United States of America. Everywhere from the Mississippi River to like the, uh, the Continental Divide. And one of the first things that happened after the purchase of the Louisiana Purchase was Thomas Jefferson commissioned Lewis and Clark to go and explore this new territory. And it was this grand journey. I mean, Lewis and Clark are probably the best known uh, explorers, adventurers in, in, in our nation's history at this point. But um, the problem with the Lewis and Clark expedition is that the entire thing was based on a faulty assumption. The expedition was built on a completely false expectation. Thomas Jefferson wrote them a letter um, telling them that the goal of their expedition was to find the most direct and practical water route across the country for the purpose of commerce. For 300 years, everybody had assumed that the, the western part of this continent was basically like the eastern part of the continent. Four different nations had assumed that there was a, a northwest passage, a sort of Mississippi River heading west. And Lewis and Clark's job was to go and find this highway to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, it would be, in modern terms, like owning the internet, right? It, it would allow commerce and travel and all, I mean, everything that you could want to be done easily. And so they traveled upriver. And thinking that if they just followed the, Miss, uh, the Missouri River up to its source, heading north and west, that they would just cross over the Continental Divide, and there they would find this northwest passage. And so one day after 15 months of hard travel upriver, in the snow, you know, having lost a couple of companions, uh, Meriwether Lewis began to climb up the hill that he was just convinced was the Continental Divide, and he knew that if he just walked over this hill, he would see in the distance this great river, and the hard work would be behind him, and they would just get in their boats and go with the current, and a couple days later, they would be in the Pacific Ocean, and he walked over the top of this hill, and he could not have been more disappointed, because what he saw on the horizon was not a river, but the Rocky Mountains. Peak after peak after, I mean, can you imagine how discouraging that would have been? Oh. Meriwether Lewis said, they were the most terrible mountains I had ever seen. <laughs> and at that moment, everything about their journey changed because um, they had a choice to make. They had planned to row downstream to the coast. They thought the hardest part of the journey was behind them and they would just get in the water and go with the flow, and they would have arrived. And they had a choice to make. They could keep doing what they'd always been doing, but that would only take them back. They could only go back where they came from that way. And if they wanted to keep going forward, they were gonna have to leave their boats behind and learn how to do something that they had never done before. They were gonna have to learn how to climb. The metaphor is obvious, right? You can keep doing what you wanted, what you've always been doing, but it's only going to take you backwards. If you want to move beyond busy and fine and connect with the God of the universe, you're going to have to learn how to do something that you've never done before. Listen, I'm not saying that if you want to know God, you have to climb up to the top of a mountain peak to meet him. God has made himself known. But if you want to know his love, if you want to live a beautiful, meaningful life, if you want to experience 
life and live out of that real, that vital connection to the God of the universe, you're going to have to do some things that you haven't done before. You're going to have to leave behind you some things that you've relied on for a very long time. You're not going to be able to just go with the flow and hope everything works out in the end. Moving forward will require us to adopt a spirit of adventure, and we're going to have to learn how to adapt. Moving forward will require us to learn how to do new things, and it will absolutely require loss. And as soon as we discover that that loss is not going to kill us, then we'll actually begin to see that those things that we have lost may have been the very things that were keeping us just fine and busy. The things that we've lost were the very things keeping us from tasting the goodness of God. If we're going to move beyond fine and busy, something's going to have to change. And the thing that's going to have to change is me and you. So your homework assignment. <laughs> this week I want to encourage you to notice every time that you say you have to do something. Every time you say you need to do something, I want to encourage you to write this down. Notice this week, every time you say that you have to do something, I have to finish this project at work, so I'm going to be home late tonight. I just have to run to the store and pick a few things up real quick. Just pay attention to when you use that word. I have to or I need to do this. And I'm not even saying, like, don't do it. What I'm saying is a lot of the things that we think we have to do are really just things that we want to do. And so maybe let's just acknowledge that we do them because we I like, I'm not going to be late because I have to pick up coffee for the morning. I want to pick up coffee. And I have a decision to do that or not. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Like, just notice when you say, I have to do this. Because I think telling ourselves that we have to do this, that we need to buy these things, is what keeps us busy and frantic and restless because we convince ourselves that we're just at the mercy of our circumstances, that my life is busy because I have to do all of these things, but guess what, you don't really have to do that many things. Like some things you have to do, like you have to breathe, you will eventually fall asleep, you need to eat. There are a lot of things that are good to do and there's plenty of things we just want to do and that's fine. And if we could just admit that we want to do them, maybe we could enjoy them or choose not to do them. Either way, whatever. <laughs> so your homework is to notice when you say you have to do something or need something, then maybe do it or not. Um, okay, now that is the easy part. The, the last thing I want to leave you with is a challenge. And the challenge is this. I want to ask you to commit to being in church every Sunday for the next six weeks. And let me just say... Don't tell me, don't text me if you're going to be here. Please don't text me if you're not going to be here. Honestly. <laughs> um, if you're on vacation, like you can go to church somewhere else when you're on vacation. But um, I want to challenge you to commit to being in church every Sunday through April 2nd. Because there's a simple plan to help you connect with God. To help you plug into the source of life. And if you're not here, you're not going to hear the plan. <laughs> um, but more that that part of being in church is actually the plan. We're going to talk about that next week. Let me just say I know that there's all kinds of reasons not to. 
Uh, I know that you're going to have to say no to some things. I know that that's hard. I know that it hurts. I know that it feels like a loss. I also know that it's not going to kill anyone. Um, but if we're going to move forward, we're going to have to learn how to do some things that we've never done before. And as we learn to say no to the things that fill up our lives, but make us feel busy and fine, the things that choke out the presence of God in our lives, we're going to begin to experience what's really true. That God actually is the source of life. That he actually is good. He's not just trying to trick us. As we begin to say no to some of those things that dull our taste buds, we're going to begin to taste and see that he is actually good. This is just an invitation to take God at his word taste and see that he is good, that we will find joy and happiness, that we will be blessed as we put our trust in him. So I just want to invite you to do your homework, <laughs> to commit to being in church, whether it's here or a different church, to take out his word, to taste and see that he is good. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for, um, I thank you that you speak to us, that you make yourself known, that you tell us a story about who you are, about what you've done in the world, about who we are, about what you want to do in our lives. God, I pray that we would find meaning and joy and happiness and significance and beauty not in turning in on ourselves. If we're honest, we know that it kind of makes us sick. And help us just to be honest so that we might um, turn to you, that we might hear uh, your word as good news, that it might entice us, that it might just make us curious enough to try something different. And as we do that, that we would experience your goodness. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.